Our meditation for today comes from this Sunday's Epistle lesson. Hear the word of our Lord from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in the 16th verse. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our evangelical friends occasionally like to give out pamphlets or tracts, maybe a chick tract, maybe little tiny booklets telling people the essence of the gospel as they see it. And occasionally you will see one that asks you a very simple question. Where are you going to go when you die? Are you going to heaven? Will you go to heaven or will you burn for all eternity in hell? They love the stark contrast between heaven and hell because as an evangelistic thing, As an evangelistic tool, it presents the stakes pretty darn clearly, doesn't it? And here, in our epistle reading for today, well, we have an answer, at least a conditional answer, given to us. We are told here what the works of the flesh are in verses 19 through 21, with a very stark warning. I warn you, he says, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here we all get scared, don't we? Because after all, you and I, we are poor, miserable sinners. The most holy human being on earth, depending on who you ask, if it is the Pope, if it is the Archbishop of some Orthodox monastery or diocese, if it is a family man who is an elder at his church. All of these are sinners who do such things, as St. Paul says. Sexual immorality. Are we not tempted? If you are tempted in your heart, as our Lutheran confessions say, then that concupiscence within you is sin. The desire to sin is sin itself. So even if you are clean as a whistle, regarding your sexual history and actual deeds done, 
You are still sexually immoral, according to Holy Scripture, if you find yourself fantasizing or being tempted or having errant thoughts. Impurity, same thing. Sensuality, focusing upon the things that you feel in the flesh and putting them up on that pedestal. Idolatry, seeking all your good from that which is not our Lord, our God. Don't we all have those moments when we think about money just a little bit too much? Don't we have all of those things when we get sucked into our hobbies and think of literally nothing else for the next week and a half? Sorcery, pharmacia, drug use. Oh my, I wonder if any of us have ever found ourselves relying just a little bit too much on chemicals or even the worst kind of sorcery in which people actually do speak to spirits and evil beings. I should hope that none of us are guilty of that, but Lord knows that we can be guilty of it in the past. Enmity, fighting, strife, jealousy. What Christian is there in the entire world that never finds himself embroiled in enmity, strife, or jealousy? And I will show you a man that is already dead, in heaven, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Fits of anger. I get angry, don't you? I find myself occasionally having an outburst of anger. No matter how much I try not to, sometimes it just takes over a little bit. Rivalries. My goodness, do we not have rivalries in the church? Do we not have people that have declared themselves our enemies, whether we had a decision in that or not? Dissensions. The divisions. How many denominations do we have? How many times do we proclaim our denomination to be superior to other denominations, as though we have the real inside track on the truth, and therefore everybody else is a pretender, or worse, a heretic, that must be excised from the body of Christ? Dissensions and divisions, do we not do this? And don't tell me that you have the truth, and therefore you are permitted, given the dispensation, to engage in enmity, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, and dissensions and divisions regarding other denominations. Oh, you have the truth. True. Maybe. But you're not speaking it in love. So what should be a faithful witness to the truth of law and gospel, the truth of Lutheran distinctions, does not become just proclaiming the truth. What should be that is instead demoted and thrown into the trash can of rivalry, dissension, and division, enmity, strife, jealousy, and plenty of fits of anger. Envy. Do we not envy? Even the act of wanting to be holy like somebody else or wanting the life that they have, the things that they have, the wife that they have, seeing this day in and day out or Sunday in and Sunday out. Oh my goodness, don't we engage in that. Oh yes. Drunkenness. Well, not everybody drinks. But drunkenness does not have to merely be a matter of alcohol. It could be a matter of drugs. Could be a manner of those who find themselves addicted to pills, maybe with a thin veneer of a prescription to justify themselves and rationalize what they do. Orgies. Oh my goodness. Orgies and things like these. Now this is no guarantee that all Christians, of course, engage in orgies far be it from us. But many Christians have had a long, long series of partners with whom they have fornicated. 
And there are many professing Christians to this very day who continue to engage in that. It may not be an all-at-once orgy, but Lord knows your body in its spiritual parts is marked by your past of many partners. While you may not have had them all at once, you bear a union with them all at once in yourself, in your past. Even as believers, though, it shames me and it shames the entire body of Christ to know that there are professing Christians who rationalize their sexual sins. And St. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there are many well-meaning pastors and servants that might try to say, ah, but don't you understand when St. Paul says those who do such things by do, he is using a participle. It's practicing. It is living in it. It is impenitent sin. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I am here to tell you that that is nonsense. Because after all, what does our apostle here say? In verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Previously, St. Paul had written the epistle to the Romans explaining to us in chapter 7 that the law of sin, the principle of sin in my body dictates that I am going to sin. Even as a believer. Even as a baptized believer in Jesus, who goes to church every Sunday, who rejoices in the sacrament of the Eucharist, who remembers his baptism, I will still sin. St. Paul still sinned. So while he does say those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, he does not mean that participle, those who are doing such things, in a way that lets us weasel out of that, like, I am a very good boy, so I will therefore inherit the kingdom of God. No. All of us are guilty under the same exact sentence here that St. Paul gives in verse 21. We are all very, very, very guilty, and we all deserve to not inherit the kingdom of God, but instead to go to hell and burn for all eternity. To be tossed into the lake of fire, where if you take a single breath, the lava's heat causes your lungs to explode. We deserve that kind of pain. We deserve that kind of abandonment, and no matter how many of us think we are holy, and think we are great, or think we are just such great Lutherans, this is Law and Gospel 101. We deserve this. Lex semper accusat. The law always accuses, and the sentence of the law is not abolished by me being a very good boy. The law is not abolished, nor will it cease accusing me simply because I do not want to sin. After all, again, St. Paul has said here and in Romans chapter 7 that we will find ourselves doing that which we do not want to do because of the sin that is within us. Our bodies are not yet redeemed in the resurrection, and therefore we are going to sin, and we are going to find ourselves living as penitent sinners the entirety of our lives. You cannot find yourself in a situation of perfection in which this verse, verse 21, 
does not apply to you. So why then, in verse 22, does St. Paul bother going into the fruits of the Spirit? Why does he decide to tell us the good things that the Spirit brings within us as fruit? Remember, fruit grows. It is cultivated by an outsider. You are not the outsider cultivating the fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. He is the one doing this work of sanctification. Now, why would St. Paul bring this up? Agape love, sacrificial love, seeking the good of others for their own sake. Joy, rejoicing in that which God has done for us. Peace, feeling at peace and contentment with our life circumstances and peace, knowing that we are no longer at enmity with God. Patience, being able to be long-suffering under hard times and things like that. Kindness, being nice to people, giving them what they need. Maybe not what they want, but what they need. Goodness, personal righteousness and piety. Faithfulness, being faithful to that which we are instructed in Holy Scripture. Gentleness, meekness, not using your power and your strength to harm others. And self-control, being able to resist or flee temptation as is needed against the arrows of the devil and his angels. Why does St. Paul say against such things there is no law? Well, beloved, when he says those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, he is telling us quite plainly that there is nothing in you that can inherit anything good from God. We are all sinners. We all have flesh, so all the works of the flesh are going to be evident within us. Maybe not every single one, but everybody is different. Everybody surely is an individual, right? But all of us are sinners. All of us are guilty. We do not inherit the kingdom of God by our own righteousness. But that good aspect of us, which battles against the fruits of the flesh, that battles their works. The good part of us, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of this is from the Spirit. It is not the fruit of you. We have already established that you and I are all sinners. It is the fruit of the Spirit, His working within us, us being the fertile soil that He plants and waters and grows. It is the fruits of the Spirit, not of us. And he says, against such things there is no law. Indeed, we should be penitent sinners. Those who are impenitent are indeed damned. Those who practice such things with a high hand, the things of the flesh, indeed, they are not inheriting the kingdom of God. But there is nothing in the saint in and of himself that inherits the kingdom of God. That is grown by the Spirit. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have, past tense, aorist tense in the Greek actually. They have crucified it, not are crucifying. Daily we try our best to crucify the flesh, absolutely. We do live in penitent faith. We must seek to go against our flesh, but our flesh is always with us. Yet here in verse 24, again, it is past tense. 
when was our flesh crucified? If it is still active within us, if my old Adam still rises up and tempts me to sin, when did I find myself having crucified the flesh? Beloved, it is in cooperation with the call of the Spirit, obeying that command to be baptized. Now, truly, it is not a human work. God is the one who makes baptism efficacious, but you found yourself in that water, and thus your flesh and its passions and desires were crucified, separated, killed off. Oh, they persist in this world, but your old Adam is dead to you. It is not you anymore. You do not belong to your flesh, no matter how much it rages like a terrifying walking dead zombie that wishes to devour you and take control over yourself. Your flesh is dead to you since the moment of your baptism. You are made new in Christ Jesus. If you struggle with sin, and by all means you should struggle with it and fight against those temptations and flee them when you cannot fight them, That is good. Please do. But when you feel that struggle, as you will, you must take confidence knowing that your flesh is already dead. It does not have the final victory over you because you belong to Jesus Christ, not to your flesh. You belong to Jesus, not that part of your nature that says you do not inherit the kingdom of God by your works. Absolutely not. O baptized believer, you do not belong to your flesh. You belong to Christ Jesus who bled for you. He who did not have these works of the flesh. Jesus Christ who was not sexually immoral or impure. Jesus Christ who was no idolater or sorcerer. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who did not engage in the enmity, strife, or fits of anger that is marked by sin. Even his contentions with the Pharisees were not done from a place of sin. They were no sin because his proclamation of the truth still brought peace rather than dissensions and divisions. The dissensions and the divisions were brought by the Pharisees who hated him. Jesus Christ, who never had envy, who was never drunken, who never engaged in orgies or things like those. Our Lord Jesus, who was perfect on our behalf to be the perfect spotless sacrifice for us. If you belong to him, then it is by your faith in him that God looks at you and says, Indeed, in that old Adam of yours, you don't deserve any of this, you cannot inherit any of this, but you do not belong to those works of the flesh. You do not belong to that past life or to the sins you find yourself struggling with in the present. That is not you any longer. No, beloved, you belong to my son, Jesus Christ. You belong to him, and on his account, you are considered righteous. You are, though you be a sinner, inheriting the kingdom of God. You were in the already but not yet. The already that says on account of Christ you are made an heir of this kingdom, but not of yourself, of Christ, him who did it for you. Now this is not to say that other interpretations of this passage are entirely wrong. It is absolutely true that those who practice with a high hand, impenitently, 
who love their sins, who covet their sins, who let their sins reign over them. Indeed, those are not ever going to go to heaven. They are not going to be a part of the new heavens and new earth. They are going to go to the lake of fire. That is absolutely true. And it is absolutely true that we should covet and seek and pray for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, attempting our best to do our part to cultivate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. After all, there's no law against it. You are free to seek it. It is a good thing to do our best to say, Oh, Holy Spirit, I want to be this. I want to be righteous. Help me to be that. May that be your fruit shown forth in me. I will do my best to seek it. Absolutely. But let us not take this and turn this into some contest of works wherein we say, I do not commit these sins, therefore I will inherit the kingdom of God. We betray the entirety of the book of Galatians if we say that. It means such as good works and inheriting the kingdom of God. Heaven forbid. We must seek righteousness. This is not the passage which tells us that we have this particular reason of inheriting the kingdom in order to motivate us to do righteous things and seek righteousness. Instead, let us see this list as helpful, understanding how I am a sinner, where I am to work on myself, but to rejoice that the kingdom is given to me and that I inherit it on account of Christ because through him, by him, I have already crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It has no power over my being. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.